This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 1st. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. On today's show, we chat with Chelsea Seavers about her pony pair. Uh, on Carriages 101, Kathleen Hake introduces us to the presidential carriages. Katie Cadwell shares her Tremont training tips. And on the TCVM segment, what to do if your horse stops sweating in this summer heat wave. So listen in. Good morning, horse world. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the driving episode. We are here the first Thursday of every month. Actually, I'm not here. I'm actually in England right now, but <laughs> uh, but but we're here. This is a brand new spirit. episode. We just recorded ahead a little bit. Matter of fact, we recorded so far ahead. I just got back from eating dinner at Wendy's house. Yep. So that was fun. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Jamie and I got to go over for a visit. It was lovely. But there's a lot going on right now in the driving world, and uh, most of it's happening, the big time stuff over in Europe. That's right. And we're getting ready, actually, to send our teams over there, um, the ponies and the pairs. The USEF has just announced their um, the teams. And uh, for the pairs, it's our own little Jacob Arnold driving some of Steve Wilson's lipizans, And then Steve Wilson himself with his lipizans, And then James Miller with uh, some warm bloods. And that's the uh, Paris team. Plus uh, the individuals are Scott and Cotty Dancer from California with their beautiful Dutch warm bloods. And then the ponies. We have an exciting lineup with the ponies. Uh, we don't actually have a four in hand, so we probably won't have a pony team. But our individuals competing are Mary Phelps with her adorable little pinto ponies. And Jennifer Keeler with Amazing Grace, who has been a national champion multiple times and just been dominating the pony singles division. And Leslie Berndle, who we've seen competing internationally with single horses, is going to be driving a cute Norwegian Fjord mare. Uh, and then some of the individuals that are also going uh, are Barbara Chapman with Maduro, her, who is her homebred pony. Uh, also Denise Hinder with Alamo's Ruby Red. And um, congr we're, congratulations to everybody being named to the uh, USA squad. And we wish you the best of luck in your competitions. Mary Phelps is already over there, and she wins the award for the best names for ponies ever, I think, oh, uh, yeah. because it's Al Capone and Bugsy Maloney. So yeah. uh, that's the cutest names, and they really are adorable American Shetland ponies. She's already over there, and I've been following all – she's been posting a lot of pictures, and it looks like she's having a lot of fun training over there. Uh, so <laughs> it, I, th I think she – this is her first time, and uh, she's very excited about that. And you can follow them um, on the USEF network. And the pairs uh, championship is going to be in Germany on September 11th through the 15th. And the ponies will be in Hungary 
from September 25th to the 29th. Well, we have Kathleen coming up from the Carriage Association of America, who did a ton of research and spent a lot of time to tell us all about presidential carriages and uh, uh, what the presidents were like as carriage drivers. So that's <laughs> coming up here in a bit. But first, we have to, it is so freaking hot all across the country. It was 97 degrees in Vermont this weekend. Are you kidding so, me? No. <laughs> so it's like hot everywhere. And we have to worry about non sweaters. And that's kind of the theme of the health portion of our show today, right? Yeah, that's right. Today, we're going to talk about non-sweating with your horse. In Florida, we experience this every summer, um, and it's due to the heat and humidity. Uh, But in other parts of the country right now, people are experiencing our Florida temperature. So you might as well listen to this to uh, help you beat the heat. Uh, If your horse is actually truly a non-sweater, there are many ways that they can be diagnosed. Most people diagnose that on their own. They feel like their horse has a dry coat. They might see them breathing really heavily and not be sweaty. Um, But also you can talk to your veterinarian about it. And there's a test that they can do um, that uh, quantifies how much they're sweating. And that's by some intradermal injections along the neck. And that can tell you definitively if your horse is a non-sweater or not. Whether your horse has stopped sweating or not, In the summertime, it's always a good idea to uh, follow some basic rules about um, exercising in the heat, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And then if your horse really has stopped sweating, there are many, many products on the market that will help that. Of course, electrolytes are a really important um, supplement that you really should give your horse. Uh, if they've stopped sweating. And then also I have an herbal formula. It's called Nushan Rusan, which is uh, Dr. Shea specifically designed this for horses that don't sweat. Uh, it contains a blend of hyacinth bean, which is that uh, I think a lot of you, if anybody watches um, um, Fixer Upper, because that's one of my favorite shows. Uh, Joe is big on gardening with hyacinth bean. And it's a very, um, uh, ornamental plant that you can use, but it also is the um, king herb in that formula. So hyacinth bean, and it has some magnolia bark plus forsythia and honeysuckle flower, which we talked about before as herbs that we use to clear heat when you have an infection. So these herbs all, it's a blend of herbs that help cool the summer heat and help you deal with anhydrosis. And you can find that on drwendying.com. Up next is Kathleen Hake from the Carriage Association of America telling us all about presidential carriages. Well, welcome back to the Driving Radio Show, Kathleen. I'm so excited about your new topic today. What are you talking about? We are going to be talking about presidential carriages, and uh, we'll all be talking about them these people in political power that not only liked the way that they looked in the carriages, but they were also quite speedy and, and put a lot of time and effort into getting the right horse and carriage for them. So this isn't just about the presidential carriages that they may have used for uh, parades. This is about presidents back in the day when they we're really using horses and carriages for transportation and what they drove. It is, but it's also about the pomp and circumstances surrounding it. Uh, carriage driving 
made the news earlier this year because Trump really wanted to draw, be presented in uh, a carriage when he visited England. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. But that type of presentation and the idea of the the pomp and circumstances that go with carriage driving at that time carried over when our country was founded. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, George Washington, who was quite the horseman, he had a brilliant um, turnout that carried over from his racing days. And it was white with brilliant red orange for his livery, if oh you can God. imagine. And then he had a, a, a cream colored carriage withdrawn with six matching horses and six horses six horses and and cream colored and and the roads would still be pretty pretty dusty and dirty back then and so it would have taken a lot of work which meant that you had enough money to pay for servants to, to mm-hmm. clean your your um carriage and horses or in in some cases slaves um and That's why I never use brass. Yes. I don't have enough people to help me. Yes. But <laughs> or time for cleaning. Right. But to have a cream-colored carriage was a bit of a status symbol right in and of itself. But And then you can just imagine, because we tend to do a little bit more conservative colors now, but to have that with the brilliant red-orange silks uh, for the fo- footmen and coachmen had to be a sight coming down the street. So, yeah. um, and the horses were the horses all gray. They were six matching horses. Now they were not as as interested in the color. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were often bays. Mm-hmm. I think at one point in time he did have six cr- cream colored horses, mm-hmm. but it was not um, quite as important back then. Good horses were good horses, and the mahogany bays were well were desirable by many of the presidents presidents uh they they really like that brown horse with a flashy mane and tail prancing and the, down. the cream carriage that you're talking about what um like what kind of carriage was it was it a carriage for for ceremonies or was it his going around town carriage it, it was mainly his ceremonial uh, it was for state occasions mm-hmm. uh but he he recognized that people even though we were wanted to be free of England and such, he recognized that that's how people saw leaders mm-hmm. and that's how they wanted to have their leaders presented and to be on the scene as being at the same level of leadership by other countries that you had to be presented that way. Mm-hmm. And so he was very good about that. Now, Thomas Jefferson was a little bit more practical and he was all about odometers um, so we have Fitbits now that we use to get wherever we're, you know, to know how far we've gone and things like that. Right. Uh, but in their day, they didn't have that. And in many cases, they really didn't know how far it was in between places. Mm-hmm. And he had a, um, a riding chair. Have you seen a riding chair? No. It's, it literally is a chair put on springs with a support system Uh and it was very popular i shouldn't say very popular because we we only know of one surviving one or two surviving ones but it was very common back then to have one it was a very practical vehicle uh the colonial williamsburg has a two-seater as well as a single seater and then uh monticello has his original vehicle i believe Uh, but he would go 
um, to his his uh, locations, and he really wanted to know how how long it took him to get there and how far it was he was going. He had that type of a mind, but unfortunately for him, odometers were very pricey. So he started inquiring back in the 1788s, but it took until 91. 1791 before he was able to afford a p- odometer mm-hmm. and um, so he had it and then he would know how far it was to get to his um, home and so he you know then he could know but he had a very practical vehicle and it was very practical to want an odometer but yeah. um, at ten dollars they were really pricey yeah it's hard to believe like you know to imagine a time when you didn't have an odometer Mm-hmm. You know, to not know how far you're, you were going, especially now with our smartphones, you never even worry about that. But right. you know what, Kathleen, I'm not understanding this riding chair. Can you explain it a little bit? So if you had, let's say, a kitchen chair mm-hmm. and you put two wheels underneath it and yeah. a support spring system. Yeah. That's pretty much it. So it was a two wheel vehicle that. Yes hooked to the horse and mm-hmm. just one passenger and he could go all about all around town. It, it would, and it would really be used for traveling a little bit more distance, I think, mm-hmm. because they apparently are very comfortable. Uh, the gentlemen at um, Colonial Williamsburg ha- have said that they're quite comfortable and they, they made a replica of the one that's at Monticello mm-hmm. and it is painted in greens, I believe, but it, it's just the simplest Thing you've seen you like you literally could take the chair off take it in your house and sit. yeah is that uh, an american vehicle like that was made was. out of function it was it was very much a an american vehicle and I, I think it was probably built out of necessity although we don't really know right but it, it does seem like one of those vehicles that would really happen that way it sounds like uh you know something that i would make in the backyard well you know how I do my little chicken house projects with PVC pipe. It sounds kind of like that. Just take a chair and put it on some old, uh, some, an old undercarriage. Pretty much. And, and I'll be honest, I would really like one because I would love to turn it out for a turnout class. <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be cool? It would. It would. <laughs> um, but, you know, that type of practicality, these, these, a lot of cases, these men were land rich and cash poor. Mm-hmm. They were responsible for providing their own vehicles, although in some cases, uh, sponsors would give them a vehicle to use for a year or, or during their terms because, again, they recognized that they needed to have um, a level of pomp and circumstance that maybe was not financially attainable at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would donate carriages, which is why sometimes you see multiple vehicles by that were used by the same president. It's not, it's oh, not, yeah. They're not quite as popular as, you know, Washington slept here. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few vehicles out there in museums that were used by various presidents. So I see. If you do want to see them, uh, the Studebaker Museum in Indiana and the um, Ford Museum in Michigan has quite a few of those. And so... These presidents would have to go. I mean, like, how do you, do you know how it worked back then? Would they go into uh, wa- Washington, D.C. for long amounts of time or would they go back and forth? So would they need a, a lot of uh, they would need vehicles to do that. Right. 
A little bit of both. Um, they would have their local little vehicles. Uh, the White House itself um, had staff vehicles. Mm-hmm. So up until uh, Theodore Roosevelt's time, they actually had horse-drawn vehicles that took the housekeeper to the market to get groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had those type of practical vehicles. And then, you know, sometimes they had you know, the pomp and circumstances vehicles, because they still had ambassadors coming, those That's types of true. people. So it's a, it's really a mixed bag, but it is important to know that there was separation between the military um, animals that were kept at the White House, the White House staff vehicles, and then the presidential um, animals and carriages. So they were they were responsible for their own vehicles and horses. Uh, and in some types, places they, you know, were loaned animals. Uh, they, were, they paid good money for them. I think in one case uh, they paid 700 for for a horse, whereas they only paid 1200 for the vehicle. So that's quite <laughs> a bit, you know. And it was, I believe, a Brewster at the time. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about a nice vehicle, but they did, you know, pay for it was just as important to have a good horse as it was to have a good vehicle. Yeah, things yeah. are the same it, back then as they are now, though. We always end up paying four times the amount for the stuff than we did the horse. You know? <laughs> like, no, that never happens, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> but we are very fortunate here at the CAA. We do have some coach lace that is here from the carriages of Andrew Jackson, um, who was the seventh president of the United States. And it's just beautiful. Um, I did bring it over to look at. And the burgundy and creams uh, for the footman's loops. Or I'm sorry, not for the footman's um, hand, hand straps. And the burgundy uh, and red ones are just amazing. The thread count in them, A, is very high. So you know that they were on a quality vehicle. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a really interesting pattern that they have in them. And um, you have that at the CAA office? We do. In Kentucky? Oh, we okay. do in Lexington, Kentucky, because you think about via carriages and you're like, oh, somebody built it out of wood, but you don't think about all the accompaniments that go with it, which is there was lace makers that made the lace for the inside. There were windows, there were metal workers. Um, and in this case, you know, this coach lace is, um, some of it is quite durable and then some of it is incredibly delicate. Mm-hmm. It's really quite the combination. So if uh, someone comes to visit the CAA, they can can they come into the office and see all these cool things you have in there? They can. We we have them in the archive room, and you do have to ask. Um, but uh, we do have them here. We have a whole um, archive box full of information on uh, carriages and, and such from the White House. And it was really great when we went to, through this uh, a couple of weeks ago for someone in that came in to do research because we discovered some things um, that we, I want to say, had, had temporarily forgotten. <laughs> um, because you work with different museums. The International Museum of the Horse here at the Horse Park is doing a um, permanent exhibit on black horsemen. And it just turns out that three of the gentlemen who were coachmen for presidents were um, African-American descent and mm-hmm. they we have some documentation on them that they didn't have. So we were able to share that with them, which oh, was really great. nice. 
And then also, Ulysses S. Grant was known for speeding. And apparently <laughs> he would put his whip between his teeth and, and drive very briskly down the road. In, in the middle of D.C., uh, if you've ever driven in D.C. now, you know it's, you go really fast to hit a stop site. <laughs> and then you go fast again, and then you stop. And I think it was kind of like that during his time. But in 1872, he was um, arrested for speeding. He got a warning one day, and then the next day proceeded to act the same way. And he then got a $20 fine. Uh, and that happened to be by William H. West, who was a black man who fought in the Civil War. And so we were also able to give that information to the International Museum of the Horse, which was nice. But, and um, what kind of carriage was he driving when he was speeding around town? It doesn't say exactly, but he really liked horses, and he drove a lot of different carriages. So there, there are many, many options in this particular case for what he was driving. He actually, at one point in time, was racing a... Um, would, would be a market person down the road and he was in a light vehicle which would be appropriate for racing and the other person was more in a market type vehicle probably some type of a buckboard or wagon and the the uh tradesperson uh beat him and so he went back and bought that horse um like a so, tradesperson in a commercial carriage yes <laughs> and uh so grant really loved those fast horses and he he would buy whatever he needed to um be able to drive the fast ones he typically had uh trotters which eventually evolved into the standard bread mm -hmm. and then he also for a while had arabs but he had a lot of different vehicles that we know of and then i'm sure he had some that he tried for various times um and you can see some of those at the either the Studebaker Museum or Henry Ford Museum. I bet Arabs were really popular for, um, for people that liked, you know, that had to go long distances and liked to go fast. They would be actually a great choice back then. Right. And that's where you, about it now. you get into some of the pacers and different things because back then you did have your horses that you used for the um, state occasions that were very pretty and, and mm -hmm. had a lot of action, but you really wanted to get home at some point. <laughs> and, right. uh, carriage racing was, a, was a hot topic and uh, everybody back then uh, was involved in it. It was not a unusual thing whatsoever. Um, there were several presidents that had racing stables while they were in office. Um, and they, they were just, they just enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. particularly with Grant. Um, he was well known for it, but he was also a very good horseman. Yeah. Oh. And with the Arabs, you know, like if you're going somewhere and this is your mode of transportation, the Arabs recover so quickly, you know, so you just, you go to your place. They're not even tired. You just put them in their stall and you go. Right. You know? And that's one thing. If you see pictures of the presidential stables back then, they're all tie stalls. Mm -hmm. And that's because these horses were on call 24-7. Right. And uh, they would go and take ambassadors or runner, you know, run messages, et cetera, et cetera. And they were not necessarily the president's private horses were used for that. But there were horses in the stable mm -hmm. that constantly were on the go. And yeah. they were rumored to receive the best of care. 
I bet. Um, because they were on the go. <laughs> well, Kathleen, um, how can people find out more about the presidents and their carriages? Well, they can certainly visit us here at the CAA. We're on the grounds of the Kentucky Horse Park. Or they can visit us online at caaonline.com. All right, great. Thanks so much. We really love your segments, and I can't wait to hear what you have for us next month. <laughs> Thank you very much, Wendy. Well, I'm excited that we have one of our longest listeners for the Driving Radio Show, that probably from day one. And she's been on our show a couple of times. She's visited the house. We've gone to Live Oak together. Uh, we've seen her grow up from one pony minis. You were driving minis, actually, at that time. I was, yep. Yep. Grow up from minis. We saw you get married. I mean, we've been through your whole life change with you. All the way along. Yeah, you know, growing <laughs> up in the horse world. So Chelsea Sievers is here with us. Chelsea, you, um, you did start driving minis, and was it singles at the time? Yep, started out driving single minis with the American Miniature Horse Registry for a couple of years and somehow discovered the sport of combined driving and shortly thereafter discovered the driving radio show and I was totally hooked on combined driving and knew that that was what I wanted to do. And you did the uh, this, the minis in combined driving for a while? A couple of minis and a couple of Shetlands, yes. I thought so. So did you ever have a desire to drive horses or are you a mini and pony girl? You know, I started riding in the hunter equitation ring as a kid. I'm sorry. And I mean, uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, started there. Um, and then, you know, I was sort of a first generation horse girl, if you will. And uh, convinced my parents when we were sort of looking at a, a, you know, a big horse to buy. That was kind of like a lot to to take on for a new horse family. Mm-hmm. And so I convinced my parents that maybe we should buy a mini and that would be more approachable and then you know we got one and then all of a sudden you have you know 10 minis that's kind of how it goes (laughs) your parents really got into the minis didn't they they did yeah my whole family shows um my dad shows in some of the in-hand classes the in-hand obstacle classes and the in-hand jumping and my mom drove and you know has driven in multiple classes up to the national level. And you live where it snows, right? Yes. Yeah. Born and raised in Minnesota, uh, currently living in Wisconsin, though. Yeah. Okay. So you went from Minnesota to Wisconsin. Yeah. There's a lateral move there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like slightly south now, but yeah, it does not matter. (laughs) When it's, you know, negative 30. (laughs) Right, exactly. So, well, when you made the switch to ponies, um, to Shetlands, why Shetlands? Did you have a reason or was it just the first one you got? It was sort of the first one we got. um, And then I switched to Welsh about four years ago. Um, So currently driving Welsh ponies now. But, the you know, the Shetlands are such a fun more sporty breed and, you know, slowly kind of creeping up towards the taller and taller pony. So Shetlands were kind of the next logical step from the minis just because the associations or the registries kind of operate together. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to go for Shetlands and then, you know, wanted something that 
because I my goal has always been to drive multiples. Uh, something that was maybe a little bit more level-headed. Not that not that Shetlands can't be, but they have their moments. Um, so made the transition to Welsh because I knew that I needed something that would be a uh, very patient with me as I learned to drive multiples. Are they the Welsh? They are. My two are pretty good boys. You know, they again both have their moments, um, but they're really good boys. So tell us about your ponies. Yeah, so I have a 10-year-old gelding um, whose name is Owen, and he's about 11, 2, and a smidge over that. Um, And then my other gelding is my younger one. He's a 7-year-old gelding, um, and he's about 11, 3, so it's a little bit taller than my other guy. And they both drove single for a while, and, you know, I had my older one first, and so they're both buckskins um, with quite a bit of chrome and big blazes on their faces. So I always get the question of, oh, my gosh, where did you find to that match? And uh, my response is it took about a year and a half to find the second one. <laughs> yeah, because they're so colorful, it's hard to find. But the more colorful you get, it's hard to find a match. It really is. Yeah, it really is. I, I truly had you know, kind of conceded on the color and thought, well, maybe I can just find something with chrome that'll kind of match, you know, my very flashy gelding that I had already had. And then I had seen this gelding, Deuce is my my younger one. I had seen Deuce pop up for sale on a, on a website down in Texas. And, you know, he had the color and he had the brains and, you know, we then just had to have him. So that was a road trip. <laughs> Hoping he worked out. <laughs> it, it, well, we've actually, you know, we sent a friend that, you know, we sort of knew or a trainer that we sort of knew down to go look at him for us. And she really liked him and sent us a bunch more videos. So we, you know, found a shipper and shipped him up. So I, I did the thing they say don't do. I bought him sight unseen myself, but, you know, kind of had some backup go look at him for me. What was the hardest part about the transition transition from singles to pairs? Oh, all of a sudden they talk to each other and then they don't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's um that's been interesting. Uh, you know, when it's they seem to have an idea of how something's gonna go. Uh that isn't maybe what my idea is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and apparently cones. I've uh, apparently I cannot drive the pair in cones. I've had uh, like double digit penalties uh, every outing. <laughs> Doing some bowling, huh? <laughs> so, oh yeah, there was. There's been quite a bit of bowling with the pair. So, uh, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but uh, those are definitely things we have to keep working on with the pair. Well, let's start with dressage. What uh, again? Another learning curve to to go into dressage with pairs. How how are you doing with dressage? So far, so good. I, um, you know, we have quite a few drivers in our area, um, but it's hard, you know, with schedules to get like regular lessons. It's, you know, it's always kind of a struggle, especially with driving where we just don't have as many professionals. Uh, so I reached out to a ridden dressage trainer and, you know, kind of explained what I was looking for. And it turned out she was already working with some combined drivers in the area and was super happy and excited to help me. So 
that was, I think, some really great advice that I had heard from other drivers was to, you know, see if there would be a ridden dressage instructor that would be willing to kind of help you and do some, you know, dressage lessons, but, you know, driven dressage instead of ridden. Uh, so that's been a huge help for me is, you know, working on those lessons every other week with that instructor and, you know, getting them both striding together and forward and on the bit at the same time feels like it uh, takes a small miracle to get all those things together. But, you know, we're making progress. Marathon's coming around, you know, this, I just stepped them up to prelim this year. So we've kind of been driving marathon maybe a little bit more a la training level um, and just, you know, getting them out, getting them comfortable, make sure we can make the time, you know, not pushing them real hard yet. They're still, they've only been in the pair about a year, a year and a half together. And since I'm still kind of learning pairs, we've been pretty, pretty like cautious on marathon still. Um, but it's coming around, you know, they're really getting more and more brave every, every time we take them out, especially every show we get through, I feel like they both get bolder and braver and more together and, you know, listen to my ideas a little bit more on marathon. I don't know how you guys remember the obstacles to begin with. I, I just give it <laughs> I would never remember all of them. You know, once you do a couple, you get into the pattern of just, you know, learning it quick and, you know, I'm um, still a, a student and a, uh, getting to be kind of a, like, you know, older student at that. Uh, so I feel like with school, you know, my job is perpetually to memorize things. So <laughs> it's getting easier. <laughs> Remind everybody what you do for a real job. Yeah, so no, like, official real job yet. Um, but I have my PhD in tumor biology and then decided that I really wanted patient care as part of my career. Uh, so I'm currently a third-year medical student at the University of Wisconsin. Let me just tell everybody, uh, we've been doing the driving radio show for eight years, and she's never been out of school um, in the entire time <laughs> we've known her. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no, no, you were very much right. Uh, <laughs> I was PhD and three years into my medical degree, so yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I mean, you did have a job. You worked in a lab or something, didn't you? You worked somewhere. Yeah, I worked for a year in a lab um, and worked on breast cancer for a year and then, you know, started this very long journey for school. When are you done? 2021. Wow. I will uh, officially graduate, but, you know, there's always more training in the medical field. So then I'll start residency. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Again, yeah. I hope we're still doing the show when you finally graduate and become something. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> You notice I avoided asking you about cones because you said that wasn't going so good. So I, I avoided that. I just <laughs> well, went right by cones. You know, <laughs> hey, I want to get better with time. I want to ask you about is it Noterra? Uh, Noterra Farm. Yes. You were at Noterra Farm, what, uh, a week or two ago, and it, they had a CDE there. And let's just say it was a little wet. Yes. Well, in the morning competitors, the way this is um, Mary Ruth Marks' show, so people may know her. She was one of the drivers um, trying to make the World Equestrian Games team. She drove the Greys. Um, so this is her farm, and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of property. But we've had a really wet spring in Wisconsin, so we kind of knew things were going to be a little muddy and 
you know, the day started out sunny and comfortable and nice and not too hot. And it was right as I had pulled the boys out, started packing them up, you know, had my hat on and my normal, you know, show clothes. And a friend looked at me and said, you know, that cloud kind of looks dark. Maybe you should put your helmet on instead of your hat. And I thought, oh, you know, I have a new hat this year. So I wanted to wear my hat, but I thought, well, I better not ruin my new hat. So I put my helmet on. And sure enough, about five minutes into our warm-up, it just downpoured. And not like normal rain. I mean, it was like buckets running off of my helmet, running off of my poor, like, groom's hat. I mean, I don't even know how she could see back in the back because it was raining so hard. I'm going to post and one of the it, pictures in our show notes. Literally, you can barely see Chelsea and the ponies. <laughs> it's raining so hard. It's like... Yeah, and um, the way they do this show is they it's a driving trial. So the marathon section is shortened so that it's just like section B or just the obstacles. Uh, so then marathon is the same day, but in the afternoon. And so needless to say, the rain stopped. However, we went mudding with the carriages. (laughs) Uh, I think I pulled about three inches of mud and grass off of my brake pads at the end of the day. It was, uh, (laughs) it was was quite muddy. (laughs) (laughs) It looked terrible. And then you're, the rain's beating you in the face and you're trying to remember where you're going. And it's just, (laughs) it's just becomes a cluster after a while. I'll blame that's my really bad cones uh, score. We'll just blame it on the rain. You know, not that uh, I just could not drive that, you know, five star pattern. (laughs) (laughs) You had been pelted by rain for an entire day. (laughs) Maybe the balls just fell off because of the rain. Yeah. I, you know, while other people didn't have 35 cones penalties, (laughs) I don't know, but I, I, I managed. (laughs) But what was your dressage score? Let's go with that. Uh, I believe, let's see, I did, I actually did pretty well with massage. I had a 59, so I was happy with that. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's good. Well, it's been good to catch up with you again. Congratulations on moving up in the ranks and just surviving that weekend. The pictures for everybody were, it was just horrendous. It was pockets (laughs) of rain. It was Florida type rain. I mean, that hard. Yeah, it was, it was pretty torrential, but you know. Always a fun day and certainly memorable photos. <laughs> well, thank you, Chelsea. Appreciate it. If you want to find her, you can find her on Facebook at Chelsea Cohn Sievers, S-I-E-V-E-R-S. And as I said, we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well, along with a picture of her in the rain with the photos. <laughs> If you are a driver and not a member of the American Driving Society, you are missing out. The benefits of membership are amazing, including a subscription to their glossy magazine, The Whip, featuring all the latest news and feature articles for the sport of carriage driving. And you'll get the digital newsletter, The Wheel Horse, delivered right to your email. Not a competitor? Then the ADS membership will give you online access to the ADS Trail Guide, a state-by-state guide for recreational drivers. If you are a Pleasure or CDE competitor, then access to the omnibus of upcoming carriage competitions is a must-have. 
You'll also be eligible for their recognition programs, including the ADS Youth Championships, the Hours to Drive, along with the all-new ADS Driven Dressage Awards. You can find it all at AmericanDrivingSociety.org. That's AmericanDrivingSociety.org to get your membership today. Today our topic is anhydrosis or non-sweating, and we had covered this last year, so we're going to rerun that uh, segment that contains a lot of tips about how to deal with summer heat and also has some great uh, recipes for some yummy cooling treats for your horses. So listen in. Wonderful. Dr. Wendy Ying doing her (laughs) traditional Chinese medicine segment, and it is freaking hot. (laughs) Here in Florida right now. <laughs> we were up in Tallahassee over the weekend, and I got in the car twice. It was over 100 degrees. Uh, and I know it's warmer down where you are, and the humidity's been a 1,000%. And one of the problems that people have, especially in the southern states in this heat, is their horse is not sweating. And uh, right. it's something that we talk about almost every year. And Wendy provides a little bit of a different approach to it because she's coming from the Chinese a veterinarian and a Chinese medicine person. So let's hear about, what's it called? Anhydrosis. 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 An means not, and hydrosis is sweating, not sweating. Okay, good. Non-sweating. And we all have, if you've had horses long enough, you're going to have run across a horse that has this. Yeah, and um, usually the reason why we see it so much in Florida is that In Florida, we have long periods of time where the heat index is well above 90. So the heat index is the humidity plus the ambient temperature, right? So like what you were saying, how you had to get in the car, right? You needed to get into the AC because you were feeling like you were going to pass out, right? You were Especially this weekend. (laughs) Yeah. So um, in, in people, we don't know the exact mechanism of why horses stop sweating. But in people, it's been well-researched that multiple bouts of heat stroke cause the sweat glands to become uh, less reactive, uh, so they they just don't work, right? Your sweat glands get over, uh, they get overworked. Um, and in people, you know, when you're having these bouts of heat stroke, you're like, oh, I got to go inside the AC. With horses, they don't have AC, right? But, and sometimes like they don't know to stop you and say, Hey, I feel weak and shaky and I'm having heat stroke. So especially with carriage driving, sometimes you may not know that your horse is experiencing minor bouts of heat stroke. So usually the first sign we see is either uh, lethargy or they start panting. Uh, and horses will start panting if they can't sweat enough to cool their body. They start panting to try to release some of that heat. And um, w- the way we look at this in Chinese medicine, we have the yin and the yang. So the yin is like your air conditioner and your yang is like your furnace. So when you have uh, multiple times when it's just too hot, your air conditioner, like, 
say you have an old air conditioner in your house and it gets really hot. The air conditioner always breaks in the summer, right? It never breaks in the fall or the spring when you're not using it. It works. It breaks when it's working too hard. So when your air conditioner is broken, you can't cool the body. So this is what we call a yin deficiency. Um, also, with the Chinese medicine, we have the different elements that represent different parts of the body. So the um, fire element is involved with the heart, and the heart controls the sweating in Chinese medicine. So you have a heart yin deficiency. Um, and the way that we go about treating this is uh, we can do acupuncture, herbs, and food therapy. Um, conventional treatment for non-sweating and Chinese medicine for non-sweating, the first step is you need to recognize the problem, okay? If your horse is not really sweating, um, you can tell this by a couple ways. Sometimes you may notice, like, after you work them, they have a sticky coat, and, and they're not real, uh, you know, if your horse gets sweaty, a lot of times they get wet and sweaty, but then when they're done and they dry off, they're not real sticky and, and um, like salty. But sometimes in the beginning when they stop sweating, their coat gets like dry and sticky. Another thing you can do to um, see if your horse is a non-sweater is to uh, take his temperature. You know, just use a regular uh, rectal thermometer and take their temperature. If they're just standing around in the barn and their temperature is like 104 and they're panting, but their their coat is dry, that's a really big sign that they're a non-sweater. So um, uh, that's a good thing because uh, Scooter, you know, Jennifer's horse sweats like crazy. I mean, I'd call right. him an over-sweater. Um, yeah. And then Scooter sweats a little, but not a lot, but he doesn't show any other signs of having any problems so you know yeah. is he a non-sweater or just he doesn't sweat much you know is there a difference well, yeah, yeah so when you're in that if you're in that situation it would be good to take his temperature okay maybe before you start working and, then and maybe in the middle of work and then after okay because once they start working i mean their temperature can be up you know to 100 to 103 if they're working really hard in the in the hot weather you know, sometimes when we would come off marathon, you know, we have a vet check. Their their temperature can go up to like 104, but the, the reason you have this vet check is you stop, you put water on them, you cool them down, and then within 10 minutes, they should come back. Their temperature should be coming down to something normal. If you, uh, like, say after you, you drive scooter and you're like, wow, he kind of looks dry, or maybe he's just wet under his uh, saddle pad. Um, you know, of course, you're going to hose him down, but maybe he's still panting like 20 minutes after you finish driving. That might be a good time to take his temperature, too. If his temperature is still up really high, even after you've been home and cooling, he's behind the fan, then that could be an indication that he is a non-sweater and that he's having, you know, little incidents well, that, of heat stroke. That leads to the question, can there be, can, let's say it's just the opposite, okay? His panting's down, his temperature's fine, but he just doesn't sweat a lot. Are there horses that don't sweat a lot that really aren't a problem? Do you know what I mean? Does that happen? Oh, like, is that normal that they yes. just don't sweat? Are, yeah. Are there horses uh, that don't sweat a lot and don't have a problem? Well, uh, if they are in that category, uh, 
first of all, it'd be hard to track them because they're not sick, <laughs> right? right? So they wouldn't be calling me to come acupuncture them because right. it's not true. a problem. <laughs> That's true. So uh, I actually did have this situation one time. Do you remember my horse Ditto? You remember Ditto? Yes. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, Ditto was super lazy. We called him the trace carrier because he didn't pull the carriage. He only would carry the weight of his traces and he made everybody else work. And so I thought Ditto was a non-sweater because, you know, me, of course, I always like think all my horses are, you know, sick. I got to do something. Right. So I thought he was a non-sweater. And then someone said to me, maybe Ditto's just lazy and he's not sweating because he's not doing any work. So I canned him around the barn a couple times and he was totally sweaty and normal. He just hadn't been doing any work. Maybe I'm not working him hard enough. Maybe that's Maybe you're not working him hard enough. <laughs> All right. So let's de- you have determined that he's not getting sweaty, his temperature's not coming down. Now what? Right. Now you should um, make sure you have a fan in his stall and make sure that he your horse is in a situation where when he's turned out he can get out of the sun. They shouldn't be standing in the sun all the time. They need to be able to get to relief from the heat. Um, also make sure they have enough salt because they'll get um, an electrolyte imbalance from not being able to sweat and having these episodes of, uh, of heat stroke and any horse working in the summer, please just give them, make sure they have enough salt and minerals in their diet. Um, the next thing you can do is, uh, in Chinese medicine, actually acupuncture and herbal therapy has, uh, we've done some double blinded studies that have been published in the equine veterinary journals that have shown that have shown that TCVM treatments can be very successful for these horses. So we do an acupuncture protocol to tonify the heart yin. And then we also put them on a herbal formula that also helps them sweat. Uh, there are also other products on the market that may or may not help. There's some supplements that are um, usually involve electrolyte therapy. Uh, for acupuncture, this is one of my favorite treatments to do, especially if I'm doing a demo, because we do a technique called hemoacupuncture, and this is a um, where we take a like a 21 gauge needle, which is like what your vet does uh, your vaccines with. And we actually um, put it into points like that are over vessel. So I usually use the, the forelimb and I put the needle in there and then we bleed about, um, you know, a hundred cc's of blood out of their leg. We can also bleed at their um, jing well points, which are the points around the, the, Hoof. You're basically a human leech. Yes, that's why it's so dramatic. Why do you? Why, I don't get why. Why in Chinese medicine we feel like that that um, we're releasing heat, and it works. Sometimes okay, I okay. Remind these points. me never to be with you when you're doing this. Okay, no, it's really fun. <laughs> Sometimes we do these points, and the horses will start sweating in the cross ties while we're working on them. Wow. Okay. Which is really that's why it's a also a fun treatment. You know. Arthritis is my number one thing I treat, but that is over a long period of time and, you know, you don't see your results so instantly. But when you do some acupuncture on a horse and then they just like start sweating, you're like, yes, this is like. All right. So you're, so you got the points where you do the bleeding and then what? There are also some points like you can do the tip of their tail or you can do the tip of their ears to release heat. And I've actually, um, done the tip of their ears with 
acupuncture needles that I've twisted around like a little earring. And I've actually used that on one of my horses that stopped sweating. So when I was working him, I did that and it helped increase his sweating. But um, you need to do this over a period of time, like a a few treatments over the summer. One treatment is not going to help. You also need to be very careful that you monitor the heat index. So if you do have a horse that doesn't sweat, I would say, um, you know, if the heat index is above 90, you, you really shouldn't work them. So in South Florida, I really, you know, we just give our horses the August off, you know, just like in January, if you live up North, you can't ride when is that cold. So maybe give them a little downtime in the summer so that they don't get too hot. Oh, and I, I have to talk about food therapy. Yes, that was gonna because I know you've talked about that before. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, so food therapy is really um, eat a lot of watermelon. Yeah, but but we don't for the horses. Even though the horses do like the red part of the watermelon, that's a little too sugary for them. And with horses, we know like having too much sugar can cause a lot of other problems. So if you take the red part of the watermelon out, you can eat that for yourself or make watermelon margaritas with it. But the horses, <laughs> you can give the rind, the white part with the rind. We that's shouldn't really give the cool. horses the margaritas. That's not good. No, no, because alcohol is hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but speaking of alcohol, Dark beer is a very traditional treatment for uh, non-sweating. And the reason why is um, malt sugar, so like malt is cooling. Also for food therapy, like anything bitter is cooling and it it supports the heart. So dark beer like Guinness or um, there's a thing called Malta. Have you ever seen Malta? Kyle drinks that sometimes, Mexican beer. Um, and so that can help with non-sweating cucumbers are a really cold food. They're very good for horses to, um, to support their yin. You mentioned and that on the last cucumbers. episode. And I, I, I thought, I didn't know if Scooter or our horses would eat cucumbers. Scooter ate it and Nigel would not, but he, Scooter did eat them up. I was surprised because I never tried oh, yeah, that horses before. Love them. Yeah. I never tried that before. Nigel didn't eat them. Nope. Mm. Wow. Some horses are like suspicious of new foods. Right. You know, especially metal horses. And I think Nigel's a metal. He doesn't, just like you and Jen don't like to try fish. Right. Yeah. I'm suspicious of new foods too. So, yeah. So if the horses have never eaten anything but, you know, carrots, then they're going to be suspicious of that. But anything crisp and watery usually is a cooling food. Uh, radishes are really good and horses like that, like uh, either regular red radish or daikon radish, horses like that. And then um, uh, we can do, like, remember the last um, thing we talked about with making the ice pops? I tried it. I wanted to tell yeah. you that. I did try the ice pops from last episode. If you missed it, go back and take a listen to the driving episode last month. Um so Did they like it? Yeah, uh, yes, they like the yes, they ate the pops, and you know, Scooter was funny because he would try and chew on it. If I give it to him, really frozen, yeah. he would try and chew on it, and then he was too smart. He was going, "That's too much work." He'd wait till they melted, and then he'd suck it all up. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but but that yeah, can both really make horses a difference. like to, if you have your water in, it, say you have your water in a metal trough that's out in the sun, the water is going to get really hot. And you know, on a hot day, like is there anything worse than like? 
your water has been sitting in your hot car, but you're so thirsty, so you drink it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like not, it's not cooling at all. Right. So putting some uh, ice, you can either just, you can do regular ice if you want in their water, but giving them some ice water also helps. But the ice pops are good because it, in, it, it includes some food therapy in there. Very cool. Anything else for, to help out? Um. <laughs> so if we're going to wrap here, find a traditional Chinese medicine uh, doctor in your area. Yep. So you can find a, a TCVM doctor in your area by going to uh, tcvm.com. That's the Qi Institute website. And we have a directory there. There's a map you can put in your uh, zip code. And then it'll tell you um, the the veterinarians that have taken the chi programs that are um, certified in acupuncture right there on that site. And then uh, also there's lots of different um, there's lots of different uh, things on the market that can give you more information about this. I know uh, Kentucky Performance Products has a great website with lots of information. And you can also go on to my site at drwendyying.com. And I have a blog post about that and also some food therapy options. And now it's time for our Tremont training tip all about carriage driving with Katie Cadwell of Tremont Farm. So, Katie, what are we talking about today on our Tremont training tip? Well, I thought since last time we talked about cones, and that was so well-received, and people were working on all those grids that we gave them, that we would start talking about not just for the combined drivers or the pleasure drivers, but for all drivers, body position and figuring out how to drive from your core muscles so you don't pull on your horse's face because it should never be a matter of strength. Yeah, and I think sometimes when people get, like, you know, you're practicing cones and you want to start doing tighter and tighter turns, you kind of fall into that trap. You think you need to pull harder. Well, that's the biggest offense is people think, oh, well, uh, my horse won't turn, so I pull even harder. And normally it's because you've knocked them off balance or you're just holding your inside rein and you're not allowing them to use their engine, the hind end, to turn. So what's, what's your advice for that? How do, we, how do we get out of that trap? So first of all, we sit up very straight. And I always say to everyone, think about letting your arms and shoulders hang. So your elbows hang softly by your sides, your arms hang loosely, and that's how you hold the reins. And what you want to do is use your body to turn. So it, it never becomes that you tighten your arms and shoulders and pull as hard as you can. It's about timing and allowing the horse rather than pulling on them. You know, I'm notorious for this because when I start to get nervous, my shoulders like creep up by my ears and I get all stiff. I know. I, d I had to break myself of that habit also. But always, you know, okay, I love the kinesiology tape. There is an H you can put on your back that yeah. when you round your shoulders, it pulls on it and it reminds you to pull your shoulders back. Oh, that's a great idea. And that works fantastic. It works really well. So if you don't have Randy slapping you from the back step, you can have this tape just pull on your skin. Exactly. It just reminds you, but it's such a little thing. Yeah. But uh, what I think we drivers forget is, yes, when you sit in the saddle, your seat, your um, legs, they all affect everything. But how we sit on the carriage affects the way our reins communicate with our horse also. Yeah, because sometimes I think people 
think you don't need any core muscles for the carriage because you're just doing it with your arms. Yeah, I feel like it's more core muscles than anything else. And, you know, I have an exercise. I make everyone stand. Stand with your feet shoulder width apart. Keep your hips still and swing. Put your arms by your side and up like you're driving and swing back and forth, but keeping from the hips down still. So it has to come from the core muscles. So you bring your arms forward and backwards and slightly twist your body. And you have to be able to do that super smoothly because that is how you get your connection to the bit. And you start to find that contact forward instead of taking it backwards. You know, I think a lot of riders that go to driving, we all experience that you're you're like gripping with your legs onto the seat, you know, because you have to. It's hard to disconnect your top and your bottom sometimes. Because the driver's only communication with the horse is our simple little rein. Yeah. So we've eliminated the seat. We've eliminated the legs. Uh, you know, you've eliminated little subtle uh, aids that help in your riding. So we have to figure out how to give these aids with just the reins in our hands. I find myself pushing really hard on the board, uh, you know, with my feet. <laughs> That's what I find myself doing. We all do that. Yeah. Or wiggling around a lot. You think if you wiggle your butt somehow, it's going to make the horse move over. I do have to relax my legs. I, I That is one thing I, I discover. And and that's something that you can do with, you don't even realize you're doing it. You really don't. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. You're just pressing really hard. You're almost standing up. <laughs> Uh, I know, and then you get done driving, and you're like, why is my, why like, are my thighs so Exactly, tired? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that but some people pe- tend to want to, like, we've talked about timing in the past, and that's a feel that's kind of, uh, it's a little bit difficult to talk about on the radio. But, you know, once you get that, there is always the, um, if you're not getting it, there's always the tendency to want to, you know, blame the bit, right? What do you think about that? So I want to try to have everyone pull on their horse less, right? So find that contact by allowing the horse forward, which means we have to keep our shoulders, our arms, everything loose and drive like our arms are rubber bands. And yes, it is a feel. That's the thing. It's a feel. You have to play with it. You have to try it. But it applies to driving across the board, whether you're driving a coach or a single pony down the road or a CDE marathon. It's got to be the relaxation in the body that allows the horse to do its job. Because if we just pull its nose in and say, look, we're doing dressage, you've shut down their engine. Yeah. And I think also in driving, you know, in riding your bit choice of course you have different mouthpieces, but in driving, we seem to have these long, long shanks and some really like gnarly leverage devices that are, you know, accepted in driving, but would be frowned upon, you know, in many riding disciplines. Uh, and I think you're so far back from your horse that that, that bit can be even more severe than even if you were riding. Yes, even a snaffle is dangerous in the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. But the driving has come up with, because it is, we just have the reins, you need to look at these bits as in what is creating pole pressure, what is creating, you know, there are bits that have a swivel on them, 
-hmm. And people think they're super cruel, but they're not because what they do is some horses don't like the pole pressure. They don't like when you pull back on the rein and that bit twists and it pushes down on the top of their head. They hate it. Right. So there are bits that allow us to have a horse that doesn't like that, but never have that pressure on the top of his head. And that's just like the horse's personal choice. But bits can be dangerous in anyone's hands. In the wrong person's hands, especially. Yeah. So it, it is you... a little crazy. I agree with you. And, and learning bits takes a lot of practice and knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, I think a great way to try different bits is, you know, find a trainer to help you that has a lot of different bits. Because trainers, especially like you and you and Randy have this wall full of bits. Um, but also figure out how the bits work and what your horse likes, you know, like my well, horse. That's the thing. Yeah. My horse, he likes to go in a, in a regular, like loose ring KK snaffle when he's ridden. So I have that option to choose that in a driving bit. I don't have to go to a straight, like straight piece driving bit just because that's what horses drive in. I can pick whatever mouthpiece I want. Oh, no, I love the um, the loose ring snapples, but it really has to be, I'm a firm believer in not having, it has to have a double joint. The single joint just with rotation up and down is can be so hard, especially on a pony's mouth. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I mean. That one with the lozenge. Yes. And the, so, yes. But, but when you first start driving, you think, oh, well, this, this arch mouth came with my harness, so I must use the arch mouth. But you can use whatever mouthpiece you want. Like if your horse is comfortable, if you know what your horse likes riding, then that's probably a good place to start driving. And training is an evolution, right? So the more we teach our horse, then all of a sudden they might need a different bit or they might need to ch- a change in their harnessing in order to accommodate this, the new way we have them going. A lot of horses that start out in a mullen mouth or arch mouth will end up in a snaffle. Right. No problem. And what do you think about horses that, um, like maybe like riding horses, like remember my horse Ditto? Remember Ditto was so downhill? I know Ditto, yes. (laughs) Remember little Ditto. So riding, I had to use a ton of, like his withers were like three inches shorter than his bum. And I had to use a lot of uh, my body to keep his front end up. So then when I was driving him, I would tend to fall into this pattern also, he was like an elephant, right? I mean, like he was really yes. dull. So he, get, I got into this thing with him where he would just lean on the bit and then I would pull back and I, you know, riding, I would know what to do, but driving, how, how do you handle that when you don't have any leg and your horse is just leaning on the bit plowing forward? So, you know what they, I do to them when they're leaning on my bit plowing forward, what? I let go. I let go, and then we start working them from behind and saying, hey, you need to carry yourself. And the more you start to work on it, and it's got to, I'm a firm believer, too, of bending comes first. Mm -hmm. You need to teach bending before you can have straightness. There is no straightness without bending. So Uh if we're teaching proper bending and having them come through their hind leg and reach that hind leg up underneath themselves, then they'll start to engage, and then they'll start to elevate. But they can never elevate or get self-carriage if we're holding on to them. Yeah, they just, I mean, and Ditto was so lazy. He loved, he didn't want to carry anything, let alone himself. Well, Ditto had your number, and because <laughs> Ditto was 
just about a pony. Ponies are very good at saying, hey, grab my bit, grab my side of my rein. Oh, oh, aha, now I have you. Yeah, I fell for You know, so you, you can't let them hold you hostage that way, but you need to, what our job as a driver is to do is to set our horse up and allow them to do the job. And mm-hmm. that's a, it's an easy concept in your brain, but to allow it to happen is, it, it's very difficult. Yeah, I think so too. Because I think- Because you I- have to say, I line your body up, I engage your hind end, you're pushing through the back end, and now I'm going to allow you to take those strides that are going to make you come over your back and put you in frame. Because people think, oh, I put the head in, then I'm doing dressage, and it's not. The frame will come if we put the horse in the proper position of his body. Yeah, because I think with a horse like Ditto that carries himself kind of downhill and leans on the bit, you you do get sucked into that trap. Maybe I should put a bigger bit on so that he pulls his nose in and then I'm doing dressage. But if he's still just plowing forward on his forehand, you haven't really done anything. Now he's plowing for, forward on his forehand in a bigger bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, his, with his nose on his chest and your arms are really yeah. tired and that tape has fallen off your back by now. Yeah, exactly. You've sweated off. <laughs> Well, Katie, thanks so much. That's a great tip. So what, uh, what, give us a wrap up of what you, what, what we can work on for well, next time. I want everyone when they're out there driving their horse down the road in the cones course, whatever they're doing to just think, take a deep breath, put your shoulders back, relax your arms, let the arms hang at your side and start thinking about those core muscles to drive from. Use that as you're shifting and you're your power instead of a pulling from your arms. That's the big thing. That's the big takeaway. I think that's a great tip. Well, thank you so much, Katie. You're always, you are always full of insight and we look forward to talking (laughs) to you next month. Okay. Talk to you later. Well, that's it for this driving episode of Horses in the Morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And Wendy, where can people find you and all your stuff? At drwendying.com. DrWendyYing.com. You can find her complete store there. And if you're in need of any veterinary services in the Sarasota area, she's there too. Just call Kyle, though, because that's the only way you're going to get Wendy. <laughs> I don't there. answer my phone. No, I she doesn't. Text. Have, she, no, she's, <laughs> you have to call the important <laughs> person in the household. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you want to find all the past episodes of the Driving Radio Show, it's easy. Go to DrivingRadioShow.com, and you'll find all the past episodes that we've done for, like, the last 25 years. Uh, They're all there. Uh, Actually, it's been nine, eight, nine years. So it's It's been a long time. Eight. Yeah. We made it past the seven-year itch. That's right. So go tune in there, and you'll find all of the past episodes. We've done a lot of fun things over the years. I think we also, it's time to get peop, uh, somebody who drives something really weird. We haven't had that in a while. We need a weird oh, driver. God, you know, we've had chickens and, you know, all kinds of things. Let's find someone who drives llamas. Oh, we haven't had llamas yet. We've had dogs and we've Probably had, because it's impossible to drive llamas. Let's uh, get somebody on. We'll have to, get, to look around for somebody to drive something exotic. If you know of anybody who drives anything exotic, drop us an email, wendy at horseradionetwork.com or glenn at horseradionetwork.com. You then. Thank you, Dr. Wendy. All right. Thank you. And keep the shiny side up. <laughs> <laughs>